Today is November the 15th. Can we know God's will? Let's find out together as we study Amos chapter 3. So last week we worked our way through the first two chapters of Amos where we see um, uh, a formula that Amos follows. Starting in chapter 3, Amos switches to sermons. And uh, the first sermon that he gives, listen to this message, that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel and Judah, against the entire family I rescued from Egypt. Um, he identifies clearly the recipients here in uh, the first, uh, first verse. And in verses uh, 3 through 6, he gives a series of anecdotes. The purpose of the anecdote, anecdote is to say that every effect has its cause. For example, does a lion ever roar in a thicket without first finding a victim? Or later, does a trap spring shut when there's nothing to catch? Every effect has a corresponding cause. Now, all of the effects that Amos mentions here in verses 3 to 6 are negative. It's destruction. It's animals being trapped, uh, caught. It's uh, animals being uh, found by an, an animal of prey. The actual effect that Amos is talking about, he mentions in verses 8 and 9, the lion is roared, so who isn't frightened? The sovereign Lord has spoken, so who can refuse to proclaim his message? He calls on the leaders of Philistia and Egypt to watch what he's about to do. Then in verse 11, he says, an enemy is coming. He will surround them, Israel, and shatter their defenses. Then he'll plunder all of their fortresses. In verse 10, he tells us what the cause of all of this is. My people have forgotten how to do right, says the Lord. Their fortresses are filled with wealth taken by theft and violence. And yet, at the very end of uh, this particular passage, the prophet does promise that there will be a remnant who are saved. That's a little gory the way he describes it, but in verse 12 he says, a shepherd who tries to rescue a sheep from a lion's mouth will recover only two legs or a piece of an ear, and so it'll be for the Israelites in Samaria, lying on luxurious beds, and for the people of Damascus, reclining on couches. There will be a remnant. They will, there will be a bloody, gory remnant, but there will be a remnant. Now we skipped over verse 7 because I really wanted to spend time looking at verse 7. Uh, 
after he presents uh, some six uh, anecdotes of every effect, has this corresponding cause, and before he gets down to brass tacks with Israel and Judah and says, this is what you've done, this is what I'm going to do to punish you. In verse 7 he says, indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. We started this devotional with the question, can we know God's will? Can we know God's plan for us? The answer is yes, we can. In fact, the prophet promises that God never acts without first letting us know what it is that he intends to do. Now back in the 70s, I'm showing my age here, Paul Simon wrote a song called Slip Sliding Away. It's kind of a forgotten song. The first three verses tell of three people who uh, actually retreat from their passion in life because life has just become difficult for them. Then in the fourth verse, Simon says this, God only knows. God makes his plan. The information is unavailable to the mortal man. We work our jobs, collect our pay, think we're gliding down in the highway, when in fact, we're slip sliding away. Now, according to Paul Simon, we can never go know God's plan for us. Well, he's wrong. He's wrong. God does want us to know his plan for us. The way, the primary way that he makes that plan known to us is through his word, because there is an overall meta-narrative in history that we fit into. It's included here, and we can read here and find out exactly what God wants us to be doing. Can we know God's plan? Yes, we can, but we have to look for it. Today, look for it in prayer. Please like, follow, and subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen to this devotional. Tomorrow we'll ask the question, how does God get our attention?